This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerus, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. We are getting to everyone's favorite season of the year, tax season. And as my world starts to get crazy, I wanted to spend some time this week on advice for not only my clients, but anyone out there that files taxes, which is probably everyone here listening, or it should be. Got a couple tips for business side, a couple for the personal, and all of this is to try and make your life easier and also mine or your accountant's life easier as well. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Do you struggle to let go of the shop at the end of the day? When you see your end of day balance and how you're tracking this month, it's much easier to enjoy that ball game or that holiday. GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Before we get into kind of the tax season tips and stuff like that, I want to have a quick update from what we talked about last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, after this, go ahead and check it out. I did a forecast on what I think that the overall economy is going to look like for this year, as well as small businesses as well. But one of the things that came up was we were talking a little bit about the Fed minutes. And when I'd released that episode, they weren't out yet. And they ended up coming out last week. So I wanted to quickly kind of talk about that because it was a topic. So I want to kind of get you guys a little bit updated on that. So if you remember, if you don't know, the meeting where they increased the Fed fund rate by 0.5% or 50 basis points was held back in mid-December. The way that they do these meetings is they hold the meeting and immediately they announce what they're going to do, if anything, for the rate. Increase, decrease, or stay the same. But then for whatever reason, they wait about a month to release the minutes of the meeting or the transcript, whatever you want to call it. The meeting minutes themselves are almost more important than the rate increase. The rate increase is pretty cut and dry, right? What are you going to do? How much are you going to change it up, down, stay the same? Now, investors and banks and kind of the overall economy is looking at the meeting minutes pretty closely, though. And it gets kind of weird. You know, I would recommend go out there and Google and look at December Fed meeting minutes or analysis on the Fed meeting minutes of December. And it's pretty wild because people really read into this stuff in pretty big detail. I mean, they're looking for specific phrases. They're looking for tone. And in this case, they were looking or kind of hinging on one big word here. And so what they're trying to do here is just like we were last week is, all right, where is the Fed's mind at? What are they planning on doing? What numbers are they looking for? Are they positive? Are they negative? Do they think this is working or not? Now, the reason everyone wants to know this is because they want to know what direction this is going Because what direction this is going obviously could affect your investment decisions, but it also kind of gives you an overall outlook on what the market's going to do and what the overall outlook of the market is, at least from the Fed standpoint. Remember, we talked about last week that, you know, when they come to January, January 31st slash February 1st is their next meeting on it. They have three options, lower the rates, leave the rates alone or raise the rates. Based on what the meeting, and it was kind of a pretty big consensus even before the minutes came out, but after reading the minutes, option one and two are virtually 0% chances. So there is almost zero chance they're going to lower the rate, and there's almost zero chance that they're going to leave the rate alone. And so all signs right now are pointing to them raising the rates. 
the whole thing uh, and the whole word that people are really hinging on is this word of flexibility. The chairman came out and said, hey, we have kind of a plan here, but we want to have some flexibility or we need to have some flexibility here. And what a lot of people are interpreting that flexibility is how much they raise the rates. It seems to be a consensus that they still think the Fed is going to raise the rates here, but they might not raise it as much as what they did in December. So in November, they raised it 75 basis points or 0.75%. In December, they raised it 0.5 percentage points or 50 basis points. And now the big thing is at the end of January, beginning of February, this flexibility term means that they might change this down even more. And instead of doing another 50 basis points increase, like they just did last month, maybe they'll bring it down to 25 basis points or 0.25%. Okay, Hunt, this is all great. And you read out a bunch of numbers here, but what does this mean for me? Why did you even give me this update on it? Well, I wanted to give an update because I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit more. Like I said, this is one of the big things that I'm watching. We'll probably be talking about this throughout this year. And this is kind of what I would be looking for. This one is what I'm looking at or what I would take out of the decisions. Honestly, if they increase at 50 basis points or 0.5% in January, end of January, beginning of February, essentially what they're saying here is, hey, we're on the right path. This is doing the right thing. We're reducing inflation. The numbers are coming down, but we need to keep on kind of the same path here. You know, a 50 basis point increase probably is about leaving everything alone because yes, you are still increasing it, but you're kind of on the same trajectory as you were in December. Now, if they choose to do 25 basis point increase, or if there's an off chance they don't increase this whatsoever, then there's really two things to gather out of this, or maybe both. The first one is, is that things are moving in the right direction. If they took a look at the numbers, they take a look at the overall economy, and they say, you know what, things are trending in a positive direction. When I'm talking about positive direction for what they're looking for, remember, their big focus is inflation. They see these inflation figures kind of start off pretty good and our prices are decreasing or not increasing anywhere as fast as they have been in the past. They might say, you know what? I think we're moving in the right direction here and we can start to kind of crank this down a little bit and only increase this 25 basis points. Now, that would be the positive take out of this. The other argument of what that 25 basis point increase could mean as well is that maybe things aren't actually looking very good. Maybe the inflation numbers are looking okay, or maybe they aren't. But there also could be a point here where they say, you know what, we might already be a little bit high, and the economy is starting to be affected in ways that we weren't really expecting here. If we keep on kind of hammering this too hard, we're going to put this thing into a full-blown recession, which is exactly what we're trying to avoid here. Overall, again, just like we were talking about with the December ones, when this January slash February meeting comes up, the basis point increase or the percentage increase, unless it's outside of those two examples, if it's not a 50 basis point or 25 basis point, then I would probably say the market's not going to really affect that much, but we'll have to kind of see till the meeting minutes come out. The meeting minutes are going to tell us the justification behind what they did. So the meeting minutes come out and there was a 25 basis point increase on it. Everyone will be looking to say, all right, are they doing this because they see good things or are they scared and they think they might have screwed up and this is why they're not increasing it as fast. So I want to kind of give you an update on that and then also give you a little bit of education of, yeah, maybe some of you guys follow this. Maybe because some of you guys look at these basis point increases, but just to let you know that the minutes is what everyone is looking for. 
And before you try and get too smart here and try to invest based on this, an economics professor in college gave me a really good line that explains a lot about the market is that the market is already has a built in expectation. A lot of times people think, well, markets change based on news. Markets change based on new information, which is somewhat true, but they're missing a key piece here. Increase in rates, decrease in rates, future interest rates, all this stuff is already factored into not only a stock price, interest rates, and stuff like that. The market has a certain expectation about how everything is going to go. And so when news comes out of, hey, this happened, if that was the general consensus of what everyone thought was going to happen, then the market probably won't move that much because the market is already taking these expectations into consideration. The times where you see really, really volatile swings is not necessarily because of the news. It's an unexpected result. It's something that the market was not expecting. And that's when you see shocks. That's when you see sharp increases, sharp decreases. When you talk about them, when they release the jobs report and they say, hey, 220,000 new jobs are created or whatever the number was. If you look at it, they're not necessarily reacting on the 220,000 number itself. They're reacting based on what the consensus was. And when that jobs report came out and said that 220,000 jobs were created, they were expecting 200,000. So a little bit higher than what they were expecting, depending on where your kind of philosophy is. Uh, Some people are looking at a bad thing. Others are looking at it a good thing. I don't know. There is so much stuff out there. There's so many moving pieces on it. And also a lot of these numbers, I hate to say it, but they're just really politicized. And it's really hard to take them in a vacuum for more than anything kind of surface level here. But overall, this kind of stuff, whether it's natural, whether it's manipulated, all move the markets, all affect the economy. So here we are talking about it. So to get into the fun stuff this week, right? Enough investing talk, enough talking about the feds here. Let's talk about getting ready for tax season. Uh, A lot of my clients listen to this. So this is good advice for my clients. Some of my clients listening right now already have this down pat and it's all going to be a reminder. There's also a lot of people out there that are not clients. And this is advice that you can use for anyone. If you want to, share it with your accountant, see if they agree with me. And if they do, tell them to send me a thank you card because hopefully I'm making their life easier as well. The overall idea here is I want to give you information. I want to kind of give you guidance on what you need to do. It'll make your life easier and it'll also make my life or your accountant's life easier as well. So let's start on the business side of things. Almost everyone that listens to these episodes is a small business owner. So let's kind of start on there. Now, if you don't have a business, it might not be applicable, but a lot of you that listen that don't have a business probably plan on having one one day. On the business side of things, most everything that we need is in your QuickBooks file. And what we do for our clients is December, we go down kind of a more exhaustive list to really double and triple check a lot of things because we need to verify balances, amounts, and all kinds of stuff for the end of the year. The biggest reason that we're doing that is, yes, all of these numbers are important throughout the year. We always keep an eye on them, but they're extremely important at the end of the year because a lot of these balances have a direct impact on how much in tax you paid. Also, a lot of these have end-of-year adjustments, or this is the time of the year where you do end-of-year adjustments. Now, all of these things that I'm going to kind of list out is stuff that if you're one of my clients, we've already asked you about or behind the scenes, we've already went down through and double checked. But again, if you want to look at this yourself or kind of get an idea on why we're asking you some of these questions, here's kind of a very short answer or kind of some examples and a very quick kind of explanation on what we're looking for there and you know what you can also double check for yourself. 
The first one I always start with is bank balances. It's a really, really easy one, but it's an important one. So when you take a look at your bank balances and all this stuff that we're going to talk about here is all on your balance sheet. So the bank balance of what I want you to look at is you might have one bank account, you might have six bank accounts. Take a look at those bank balances and just take a look and see if they look in the realm of possibility. Now, keep in mind that the bank balance on QuickBooks for December 31st is almost never going to match your bank balance on your online banking. The reason is, is if you have checks that are out there that haven't cleared yet, those are already affecting your QuickBooks balance, but not your bank balance. And if you have bank deposits that are hitting your QuickBooks, they might not have cleared your bank account yet. So there's always going to be some timing and some discrepancies. If it's an account that you don't use that much or a savings account, yeah, the bank balance is probably going to be dead on or should be. But just so if you panic and say, hey, Hunt, I have 55000 in my account. Why is QuickBooks showing 50000 This is not what we're trying to do here. Really, I'm looking for major swings. Hey, why do I show I have $120,000 in my operating account? I have 50 grand in there. There better be a good reason. And even if you take a look at this and say, hey, I'm not sure if that's right or wrong, call up your accountant, call us up, right? Call your monthly person up and say, hey, can you double check my operating account? The bank balance looks a little bit off. Can you kind of go down through and see if you see anything weird there? And what we do on our end when we're looking at those bank balances is we know that timing stuff as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go and take a look at your reconciliation or just your outstanding checks at the end of the year. And so if I look and I say, all right, we got something from end of November, beginning of December, mid-December, then a decent bit for the end of December that haven't cleared yet. I'm okay with that. Very logical timing thing. We sent some checks out or maybe we wrote it and then didn't mail it out till a couple of weeks later. That all looks good. Now, what would not look good is transactions, checks, deposits, ACHs, debits, and either your bank account or credit card, really, that are for like January or March or even June, right? If there are old stuff in there that still haven't cleared, adjustment needs to be made because they're not going to clear. It's either a duplicate, something that got voided, or something like that. So stuff that's current, 30, 60 days on it probably going to be good to go. Stuff older than that, double check into that. More or less, if you see something that's not right, you can void it. But if you're one of our clients, double check with your monthly person before you go ahead and void that. Because there's some transactions that actually can be voided, but it might be easier if we do it so it doesn't kind of have a domino effect with some other balances and stuff like that. Bank count, right? Take a look at the balance. Make sure it's in the realm of possibility. And the last piece on that, make sure that all your business bank accounts are listed on there as well. I got to say it, every once in a while it happens of, hey, did you factor in that citizen's account? Oh, the citizen's account? Where is that? I don't know. It's at the bank. I use it for this, this, and this. It's like, well, is it in QuickBooks? No. Okay, well, now we know about it. Now we can fix it. You know, and every once in a while we see this stuff, but double check it, make sure it kind of looks in the realm of possibility. Next one on there is accounts receivable balance. Accounts receivable balance is how much customers owe you at the end of the year. Maybe it's zero. Maybe you don't give credit to anyone. Most people do, just generally not a ton. So even if you have, let's say that you close out tickets on a Friday to make sure that the technicians get work, you still don't release the car until Monday, you're going to have accounts receivable. Almost everyone does this. Now, almost none of you guys here listening actually invoice or charge your customers out of QuickBooks. You have some sort of shop management software. And so what you should be doing to get your accounts receivable balance is you should be pulling up your uh, shopware, your tech metric, whatever you're using out there and getting a good accounts receivable balance. 
Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you got stuff where people aren't going to pay you, it needs to be written off, it's a warranty, whatever might happen, make sure you're not counting those in your figure. And so what I always tell my clients is, hey, I don't really need the detail on it. Just give me what your balance for the end of the year is. If you have a ton of adjustments on there and you know QuickBooks is showing 60,000 and your true AR balance is like 10,000, I'm probably going to want to know more about what happened there, not only from a classification standpoint, but just also to make sure that something wonky isn't going on and we don't have to kind of keep an eye on this in the future because that's a pretty large adjustment. For example, if you have an adjustment that large, what I would do if that's one of my clients is maybe it's warranty, maybe it's bad debt, maybe it's something else, but that is a material swing there, $50,000. That's a huge swing, which is going to change your net income. If it's a logical thing, if it's an accurate thing, what I'd probably do is I'd probably say, all right, great, we're going to do this. But because you have these large write-offs for whatever reason, we're actually going to do this check every single quarter so that we don't have a monstrous $50,000 write-off at the end of the year. Maybe we can split that up and it works out to be like $12,000 each quarter. Goes along with your income, gives a lot better for tracking, and also gives you a lot more accurate information. Now, accounts receivable, the name of the game here is the lower the better. If you don't think you're going to get paid, not going to get paid, you already wrote that one off, get rid of this. If it's in accounts receivable, you're going to pay tax on it. If you don't think you're going to get paid, write it off, be done, give your accountant that balance, or just give them the balance to make sure that it's verified and accurate. Next one on here is inventory balance. So inventory balance for a lot of my clients, they come and they ask me, I say, Hey, I need your inventory balance at the end of the year. And they asked me, well, what was it last year? Uh, 3,500 bucks. It's about the same. And realistically, I'm not trying to be funny here. It's true for a lot of people. A lot of people in this day and age just don't really stock that much in inventory, fluids, filters, and they kind of have a revolving amount in there. And a lot of times don't really count it. If you don't have a material amount of inventory, then that's fine. All right, it's about the same. Maybe it's down a little bit lower or maybe prices went up a little bit. It's a little bit higher than that. But again, just like accounts receivable, the lower, the better. Because if it's in inventory, it means that we did not deduct it as a cost of goods sold. So more or less, the higher that inventory number is, the higher your income is going to be. So if you have inventory in there that shouldn't be, make sure you get that out. If you have dead inventory that's not going to sell, get that out of inventory, get rid of it so that we don't pay tax on that and take the deduction for it. Now, a lot of you, again, are using your shop management software to track inventory, but also I've seen a lot of those inventory reports and a lot of people, they just aren't accurate. So if you pull up your inventory report, double check what that balance is before you send it over to your accountant. This happens a good bit, right? And so let's use that example of 3,500 bucks. Call my client and say, hey, can you send me over your inventory number, inventory report, so I can just double check this for the end of the year. And they send me over a report that shows $36,000. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to say, hey, what is up with this? Is this correct? Because this is massively different than what it was last year. And nine times out of 10, a client goes, no way, that's not even close to accurate. I'm not sure what's going on there. And then that's when they say, just leave it the same as last year and let's move on. Now, there's some accountants out there that don't understand the automotive industry, though. And if you send them something that says 35000 they're probably going to put that on a return. And to give an example, if you reported 35000 and your inventory was really only 5000 it's probably going to cost you $8,000 in taxes, plus or minus a little bit, right? This is a major difference here. So make sure you get that. If your accountant hasn't asked for that, double check, make sure that it looks okay on your balance sheet so that you're not paying more tax than you need to.
As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. Their mission is to coach the owners to focus on growing their bottom line and building a team culture within their business. At the Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, they train the owners and the staff what right looks like, so everyone is on the same page and driving towards a common goal. Their coaching program focuses on all aspects of your business so that the owner can step back from the daily grind and start to work on their business and not in their business. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. So quickly, got a couple other things here. Want to double check. New assets purchased this year. Fixed assets are always going to be on the balance sheet. So if you bought an alignment rack, you should see that on there. If you bought a car or a truck, you should see that on there. Keep in mind that if it was less than $2,500, bucks, um, it's probably on the profit and loss statement. Probably just took the expense for it. But just take a look at your fixed asset accounts, equipment, machinery, furniture and fixtures, stuff like that. And just make sure you see entries in there. And again, if you're not sure, go down and say, all right, I bought these four items. Let me shoot it under my account and say, hey, do you have all these on there? We all good. Yep, no worries. Got them all on there. Total of about $110,000. Does that sound right? Yep, all good. We don't mind this kind of stuff. If you want to verify, you want to make sure this is fine, perfect. It makes our life easier. I want to make sure that not only your financials are accurate, but obviously I want you to pay the least amount of tax possible. So this cooperation here not only saves you money and gets you more accurate financials, can also educate you on kind of what you're missing or give you some guidance on where you need to go. Now, if you don't give the answer to this stuff, then not only is it going to delay us closing at the end of the year, could get us to a point where if you say, hey, he just can't verify for whatever reason, he says, just go with whatever is on there. Could be good, could be bad. Who knows? So accounts payable balance, kind of the opposite of accounts receivable. It's the vendors that you owe. Some people don't put their vendor bills in QuickBooks, which this will then not apply to you. But if you do put your vendor bills into QuickBooks, just take a look at it. Make sure all of your December invoices for the Napa, you know, advanced auto parts, whoever you're buying your stuff from is all in there in December. Because remember, the way that it works for bills in QuickBooks is the date on that bill is when you get to deduct it. So if you have a December 31st statement, it's entered into QuickBooks. Even if it's not paid at the end of the year, you get the deduction. However, if you forget to put that in there, you're not going to get the deduction there. So next one on here, loan balances. So loan balances on the books of your company, we're going to ask for bank statements or loan statements for all of those so that we can verify the end of year balances which uh, allows us to pick up the interest deduction. Some people book their interest on the loans monthly. Some people just do it at the end of the year. Personal preference on this, but we at least have to make sure we get it by the end of the year and also verify the balance. Why do we verify the balance, not just the loan interest? Because let's say it's something like a line of credit. Hey, I don't want to just know what the interest is. 
I want to also take a look at what the overall principal ending balance was. The reason is, is because it catches a lot of things, right? We're verifying all this stuff. And a lot of times this is how we figure out we're missing pieces. Hey, Mrs. Client, I need your end of year line of credit balance. Right now in the books, it's showing about 105,000. You know, she comes back and says, hey, hon, it's about 108,000. Makes sense, right? Three grand of interest. Perfect. Book it on there. We're good to go. She comes back and says, hon, that's $220,000. We have a problem. You didn't pay that much in interest on it. So you must have taken a draw off of that line of credit. Obviously, we didn't see that draw in QuickBooks into your business bank account because we would have already coded that in there. So did you buy a piece of equipment on the line of credit? Did you take a distribution off of your line of credit? What did you do? And now we can ask some more questions to get to the bottom of this. Also, if you're going down through the loans and loan balances, you're verifying that all of the loans that you have are listed on there. Let's say you have four car loans and then you bought another truck this year. So ultimately you have five, but you take a look at your balance sheet and there's only four loans on there. Then you know you're missing a statement or you didn't give a statement to your accountant or your bookkeeper didn't enter this stuff in there. So make sure kind of the balance on the books matches up what you have. Every once in a while, we have the opposite too. Hey, why is that old Jetta loan still on my balance sheet? I don't have that anymore. I paid that off when I traded this in. If these old loans are on there in a situation like that, like a trade-in, you probably didn't give us the paperwork on that or didn't give your accountant the paperwork on that, which means not only is the old Jetta still on the books, whatever you trade that in on is probably not on your books either. Take a look at this stuff. Go down there. Look for clues. Look for amounts. Look for different accounts. Make sure it's all accounted for and make sure it's all accurate. Last thing on the balance sheet that I kind of remind people to take a look at here is draws or distributions, right? So if you're a sole proprietor, S-corp or partnership, you are probably taking at least a couple draws or distributions throughout the year. Also, what goes down through draws and distributions is going to be personal expenses. Hey, I paid for this. I don't want to try and take an expense for it. I'm just going to count it as a distribution. One of the things that I always tell my client, especially if you're not the ones doing your books, you need to go down through that draws and distributions to make sure that there's not any transactions that actually need to be deducted. If it's you doing the books, you entering the stuff in, I would still go down there and look just to make sure you didn't you know, fat finger something and code it in the wrong spot. But especially if you have a bookkeeper or you're outsourced your bookkeeping on it. You know, they might understand your business pretty well, but it's not unrealistic to think a couple categories could be tagged wrong. So go down there and take a look at that draws and distributions and make sure that all of those are truly draws and none of those need to be recategorized. Because remember, if that expense is in draws and distribution, it is not going to be a deduction for you. If you bought something for $5,000, it's in distributions where that really should have been a shop supply. It's going to cost you about 1500 bucks in taxes by missing that. So take a couple minutes, go down there. A lot of times what I tell people to do is sorted by vendor, sorted by memo, or even sorted by amount to kind of go down through and figure out, make sure that nothing wrong is in there. All that stuff was on the balance sheet. And really for the end of the year, that is the big focus. Because at the end of the day, if it's on the income statement, it means it's getting deducted. Very rarely is there something on the income statement where you're going to be mad if it ends up getting deducted. But a lot of times people are mad that it's not getting deducted. But if you had verified all those things that I talked about above, it's almost impossible to overstate your income. You could be understating your income, but a lot of times that's what people are trying to do. But on the income statement, the one big thing that I would say to take a look at is at this time of the year, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm comparing 2022 to 2021 
side by side and you know even having a third column on there to either show me my dollar change from the previous year or percent change the biggest thing that i'm looking for there is outlying its expenses and really for sales and cost of goods sold in this exercise i'm not taking a whole big look at that what i'm looking down through is my fixed expenses all right let's look at my advertising my office supplies my rent and comparing where it stands this year to last year all right my insurance went up about 20 percent makes sense. Everything's going up. Okay, great. Hey, wait on a second. My rent is $20,000 lower than last year. I pay the same rent every single month to a landlord. Why is this happening? Right. And that's going to allow you to double check and take a look at what's going on. Now, rent is a weird one, right? Because a lot of times what happens is depending on timing here, sometimes you might have two payments in one month and then the following month you have none. So sometimes there are some timing things and stuff like that, but every once in a while something gets missed. Oh man, I forgot to pay my landlord that one month. I guess they haven't figured it out yet. I better call them up, make sure I can get this paid and settled. Or, hey, I know I paid that December rent payment. Where the heck did it get coded to? Just like I was talking about before, did that go to a distribution or something like that? Take a look at that comparison. Make sure that you can kind of spot any differences between last year and this year and have a logical answer for those as well. That was kind of it on the business side of it. This next kind of topic here I want to go down through is on the personal tax side, right? Personal taxes are a little bit trickier because everyone is going to be slightly different. So I'm not going to try and get down into your specific business here because, hey, how could I ever know? But these are probably just broader tips for everyone. Almost all of this will apply to some of you and a lot of it will apply to all of you. A lot of people don't rush in getting their stuff together. Everything should be ready now. You know, I've been getting emails for the last week of all these different end of year statements and stuff like that are ready. Theoretically, right now, I could probably do 95% of my tax return. I haven't finished up the business stuff yet. I'm still waiting for a couple investment things that are notoriously later. But most everything that I do otherwise is all ready for me to go, all ready for me to download on whatever their respective websites are. So, what I always tell people, and if you are a client, I'm telling you, if you have your core information, get that in, right? That will signal us for to start working on it. And that will also signal us for to start going to get the business together as well. Because remember, when we do tax returns and you're an S-Corp partnership, Schedule C, sole proprietor, we always do your business the same time as your personal. People often ask that, well, hey, hon, just get my business done and then I'll get my personal stuff. No. Why? Because it's not good for you. Yeah, I could easily do it. Fine. If you want me to do it, great. But I need to educate you on why I don't want to do that. The reason I don't want to do your business first is because I have to take a guess on a lot of things. Hey, maybe we should take full depreciation on this truck. Maybe we don't need to. If I have your personal, it's very easy. I can go down through. I can play with different scenarios and see what works best for you as my client. If I don't have your personal, I'm just taking a rough guess. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not right. And if we've already filed the business, there's no way to change that unless we amend the business. And we try to avoid amending things whenever possible. It's never a good option. Sometimes it's the only option. But if we can, never, never amend your return. 95% of your stuff, get it in. Get it into us. Now, if you have like 5% of it, don't send that, right? You can if you want to, but we're not going to start if you just send in uh, your just one mortgage statement. But I hear too many times, either people just say, eh, man, I got plenty of time. I'm not going to worry about that. Or they say, you know what? I need to wait till I have everything. Start getting this stuff together. And if you have the majority of this stuff, send it in. It'll make your life easier. It'll make my life easier as well. 
And honestly, uh, a lot of people say, hey, tax season starts now. Tax season really doesn't start for me personally until like February 1st. Almost no one gets us the majority of their tax stuff in January. I would love it if they did, but a lot of people don't. But a little tip for you if you're one of my clients or you know anyone out there, because your account's probably the same way. If you can get the majority of your stuff in here in the next week or two, you're going to be one of the first ones out the door. Time is money. We're not going to sit on this stuff. If we have it, we're going to get it done and we're going to get it out the door, especially now where we're still a little bit slow. You want to get the preferential treatment. You want to get this stuff done. Get it in here. We'll get rocking and rolling. We're going to be just as happy as you are. Key dates this year. So two big ones that we're looking for here, March 15th and then April 18th. March 15th, I have to mention, it's not super important for most people, but I want to explain why. So March 15th is when S-corporations and partnerships are due. Now, unless your personal is done, ready to go, then we're going to extend your business automatically if you're one of our clients. But why? The reason we're going to extend your business is S-corporations, partnerships, they don't pay any income tax. You pay it personally. So there's absolutely no reason to rush to file the corporation by the 15th when we have another month to get your personal done. And so sometimes people get alarmed by this. Oh, I've never filed an extension on it. Well, I agree to be apprehensive about filing an extension on your personal because there's taxes on there. On the business, there's really no downside whatsoever. So the general idea in a perfect world, if we can get everything done, business and personal, before March 15th, we'll file it, we'll get it out the door, we'll get it done. But if we're kind of coming up against it, even if your personal is almost done, we don't want to rush this stuff. We want to have enough time where we can make sure we have a good conversation, everyone's on the same page, and we're comfortable with where the tax returns stand before filing it. So we'll extend that. And really, our target for this year is April 18th. So April 18th, you might be thinking, Hunt, why is it not April 15th? Another situation for like the fourth year in a row, we got an extra three days of tax season because of some holiday or something like that. I don't know what it is, but you got three extra days. I got three more days of tax seasons. Woohoo, woohoo. But April 18th is the big target. March 15th, only big thing is some states are due March 15th that we might need to get some payments in for. But April 18th is is a big target there. Now that I just told you April 18th is our target, Take that out of your mind. A lot of times, if you're listening to this right now, you're going to say, Hunt, you just said April 18th is my target. You know, by the time you listen to this, it's going to be like what, January 12th or so, or 13th, depending on how quick you listen to this. That's a really far way away. A, it goes by really fast. And B, if you get me your stuff on April 18th, I'm going to put in a file. You're going to get extended, right? I don't have enough time to do anything with that. So be nice to me, be nice to your accountant, get the stuff in earlier. Absolute, absolute drop dead date that you do not want to send your stuff in after is pretty much March 31st. I'm not going to say that if you send me your stuff on April 4th, we might not that we can't pull a miracle and get everything done out the door. But I will tell you, if we do get it done, it's faster than we like to work. It's not super nice to us. It doesn't give us enough time to probably spend as much time as we need. For people that we don't feel comfortable on, we're not going to rush to file that. Most of the time, if we have kind of those last minute ones, we'll kind of rush to get everything in there to see where we stand. If we have a refund, then we just say, hey, fine, we don't need to worry about April 18th. We're just going to extend this. Why? Because we don't owe any money. So let's take some more time, go down through and see what's going on here. Make sure that everything is good instead of rushing this through in a week or week and a half and getting out the door. Now, on the other side, we also need to go down through and look at this stuff because if you owe money, you need to pay by April 18th. 
This is one thing that people don't realize is they say, well, hon, I, you know, extend and I file in September, October. I said, the extension is a time to file, not an extension of time to pay. So that's really important to remember here because a lot of people are saying, well, hey, I always extend, so I need to worry about getting my tax stuff. That's fine if you're getting a refund. That's fine if you know where you stand and you know that you're getting a refund or you've paid in enough money. But if you owe $20,000 and you don't pay that until September, October, you're going to be paying a couple thousand dollars of penalty and interest for the government not getting their money on time. Overall here, remember those dates. But then, like I said, forget those dates. Get everything in as quick as you can. We're never going to be mad that you have all your stuff in here and never be mad that you get this stuff in too early. And one of the big things that we double check in my firm is we see how long stuff has been in there. I'm not going to give you the dates on that That's inside information, but we have a certain timeline of what we want to return coming in of when it's out the door. If I see something getting up there in days, it's going to go onto a watch list. It's going to be a meeting about that. We're going to say, what's going on with this person? Who's delaying this? Are we waiting stuff from them? Are they waiting on stuff from us? Whatever it is, let's get it done. Let's get it out the door. We want to turn this stuff. We want you to get your tax return done. We want to get paid. We want to move on with all of this stuff. A couple quick tips here, specifically a little bit deeper on the personal turn. Now, first things first is just kind of, this is tips from your accountant, right? This is feedback from your accountant here. Maybe I'm your accountant. If I'm not, they would probably say the same thing. How to send this stuff in. So we have clients all across the country. So most of my clients are not physically dropping anything off by hand. Some of them do, which I say, if you're local, if it's easier for you, swing it on by. You know, we're always happy to see people. Even those people, a lot of times just say, "Hunt, I don't feel like scanning this stuff. Can I just put it all in an envelope and mail it out to you? Perfectly fine by me. It's still old school on it. The biggest thing is if you mail your stuff, whether it's to me, to another accountant, do not just put that in a regular envelope. Do not, do not, do not do that. I want that to be somewhere where it has a tracking Pay a couple extra bucks, you know, get a real envelope, UPS that, FedEx that, or if you have to, you can use the postal service, but make sure that you have some sort of receipt tracking so that it doesn't just get lost in the middle of nowhere. Every year we have one person that decides to send their stuff, you know, regular snail mail with just a stamp and it gets lost. And it's terrible because we don't know where it is, don't even know where to start. There's no tracking number. There's nothing like that. Now, if you're kind of more tech savvy on this, you don't feel like mailing this stuff, or maybe a lot of this stuff is electronic, obviously you can email it to us. Hey, download all your statements, boom, send it to us, perfectly fine. Also, if you want to make sure that all this stuff is protected, all you got to do is shoot my office an email. Hey, I'd like to get you over some stuff. Can you send me an encrypted link? We send you a link. You upload all that stuff into our secure portal. Don't have to worry about identity theft or anything like that. Now, if you're going to be physically scanning this stuff, make sure you have a good scanner. There's nothing that kind of bugs us more or slows everything down than when we get to your stuff. We get to your mortgage statement and it looks like I'm losing my eyesight, right? There's like double vision, everything's blurry or it's way too small or something like that. A bad scan is pretty much worthless to us. So make sure you have a good scanner. We used to see this a ton because we used to get a lot of stuff faxed. We don't get a whole lot through faxed. But the idea is the same. If you can't read it, we can't read it either. So if you do scan this stuff, take a quick look down through that. And make sure you can read the numbers and the figures and stuff like that. Another one is cell phones are pretty good. There is ways that you can scan it on your phone. Again, make sure that you can read it. Make sure it's not super blurry or there's a bunch of shadows on this. And then also make sure it's in like a usable format. And what I mean by that is don't send me like 35 back-to-back emails 
with one picture attachment on each, or even worse, where the picture's not even an attachment, it's just part of the email. If you can, when it's all possible, attach it all as to one file, or at least attach it all to one email so we can download it in a combined format. Honestly, if you don't have the ability or your technology doesn't allow you to do that in all one email, it's probably easier for you to just put all this stuff in an envelope and mail it to us. One of my clients said, well, hon, I didn't think that you wanted all that paper. Hey, whatever is easier for you is easy for us, right? If I have the statements, I don't care if it's on a computer, I don't care if it's paper, I don't care if it's email. As long as I have it, we can do it. We can work with it. If I can't read it, I can't do anything with it. So we got some easy ones. Everyone knows what to send in for the most part. Some people don't, but kind of go down through a couple of these, then give you a little bit more background of if you need to do this or what we would like to see. So W-2 mortgage statements, investments, pretty straightforward, right? Give us the end of year statement. Don't give us a December statement. There's a specific tax statement for investments and mortgages and stuff like that. But, you know, other things on the itemized deductions are medical expenses. Medical expenses are a tricky one because in order to deduct medical expenses on your personal taxes, they have to exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. It's a pretty high figure. And so let's say that you make $200,000 a year between your payroll and the business. That would mean that you can only deduct medical expenses more than $15,000. If you spent $13,000 on uh, medical expenses and you made two hundred dollars you have no deduction for this because there's nothing over that 7.5% threshold. However, if you make $200,000 and you have thirty dollars in medical expenses, we're going to get to deduct that stuff. So if you're thinking to yourself, "Hun, I have like barely any medical expenses and definitely not more than 7.5% of my AGI, then don't worry about it, right? Don't send it in there. We're not going to be able to use that. If you're thinking to yourself, "Hun, I do have a ton of medical expenses. It's well over 7.5% or it might even be close, right? If you're on the threshold, just give it to us. If we need it, we'll use it. If not, we'll ignore it. Now, when I say give it to us, I don't want the receipts. I don't want the bags that your prescription came in. I don't want a statement from your doctor. I don't want any of that. You should see some of the stuff. If it wasn't kind of a violation of privacy, maybe I can post one where it just has no information on there. Every year we have a handful of people that we get just piles and piles and piles of stuff. And sometimes they have a sheet on the front where they total up the entire balance and they think we want to see the backup, some people just send it all into an envelope and we have to total it up. Now, for my elderly clients, I have a handful that are pretty old and they send that stuff in. No worries, I'll go down through and add it up. But if you're a younger person, come on now, do me a favor, just add all that stuff up and give me a total. I think the confusion is sometimes people think that I need to see the justification behind that. I really don't. If you ever to get this looked into, if the IRS was ever to look into this, yeah, they're going to want to see the back of documentation. But come on, I take your word for it, right? We're on the same page here. If you tell me your medical expenses are a certain amount, I'm going to take that. Now, if you go crazy on this or you have a large amount, you're probably going to want to give me or your accountant some sort of backstory. So if I see something where it's like, all right, do my client's return, you got $120,000 of medical expenses, I'm going to need just for my professional standards, at least a little bit like, hey, what went on here? First of all, I'm sorry, because something obviously terrible happened. But just want to make sure that you didn't throw an extra zero in there or kind of misinterpret what we can deduct here. A lot of times for the medical expenses, generally the times when we see those deducted on tax returns are really if you're elderly, right? Because elderly have a lot more medical expenses and also generally lower income. If you had something catastrophic happening during the year, cancer, major surgeries or something like that. 
More also depend on your insurance. You have kids or something with your kids. Sometimes we'll see that. But a lot of times for our business clients, younger people, they either don't spend that much in medical or they do, but you make too much money and you can't be deducted. But either case, if you're not sure if you qualify or not, add up the total, send it in. If we need it, we'll probably ask a couple more questions to make sure we've captured all of the expenses. If you don't, we'll just ignore it. But now I don't need to see all the backup. You can save that stuff for yourself. So next one on here is charity. And so just like the medical expenses, I don't need to see any sort of receipts. I don't need to see letters and stuff like that. Again, if it's going to be a massive amount of money here, then yes, send that stuff in because there is a certain threshold where not only me, but my preparers to do this, we double check on stuff because we want to make sure that you understand it and we can verify it. So if you have, hey, I donated $50,000 to this charity, I'm probably going to want to see a letter. If you really come back and say, hey, Hunt, I don't have a letter. I did put it all in there. Again, we're on the same team here, right? I'll take your word for it. But I usually just like to at least shoot an email, pick up the phone just to verify we're on the same page here before throwing that in there. But other than that, I mean, I guess technically I don't even need to see a detail of how much and who you paid. But at the most, all I'd want to see is, hey, these are the charities I donated to. Here's how much I gave to them. Quick total, one sheet, boom, done. Now that's for cash donations. If you have something like non-cash, like donating stuff to Goodwill, I don't really need to know very much detail at all. If it's under $500, then I really need virtually no details. So if you say, hey, Hunt, I donated about 400 bucks worth of stuff to Goodwill. We're done there. I put in the 400, we move on. Now, if you donate more than $500, and that means fair market value. So if the market value, like if you were to sell that stuff at a yard sale, how much would you get for it? That's where you were trying to get the kind of basis and evaluation of this stuff. If you come back and you say, hey, hon, I donated like $2,000 worth of stuff to Goodwill. Again, I don't really need to know specifically what it was. Just give a quick blurb, right? And so usually what it is is, hey, hon, I donated $2,000 worth of household items to Goodwill. Let me know if you need anything else. And generally we don't. We have all the federal ID number for Goodwill. We'll put it in there and stuff like that. You know, now the valuation method of this is tricky at best. And realistically, let's take a look at it. If you're donated to Goodwill, a lot of times we don't see that much value on it. I'm not condoning you pencil whipping this here, but it's never really looked into that much. Now, if you go overboard on this stuff, then yeah, shame on you. But, you know, you don't have to get kind of super in detail here. Get a rough number on it that you think, but obviously you're looking for deductions here. So don't short yourself. Fun story, I had one client one year that sent in his stuff and he never sent in any detail on this, but wrote on his tax paperwork that he donated $30,000 worth of stuff to Goodwill, right? It's the most I've ever seen by probably 10 times. It's a massive amount. So I called my client and I said, hey, I just want to double check. Again, we're on the same team here. So if you say that you put $30,000 in there, I'm going to put it on there. But as your accountant, I kind of have to ask you some questions that I feel comfortable and also make sure that you know where you stand. So I told him, I said, do you realize that $30,000 is not that you paid $30,000 for this stuff at some point? It means that if you sold all of this stuff right now at a yard sale or to a friend or on Facebook, you could get $30,000 for this. Oh, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And he starts going down. I'm asking, well, what was it? Oh, you know, some old sweatshirts, you know, a couple of really old nice suits and stuff like that, some furniture, my old couch. Personally, I don't really see where it could have come up with that value, but he says he went down. He says he has all the list. If anything were to happen, the IRS is going to be able to go down through that 
And you know what? He was comfortable with it. He signed the engagement letter saying that everything was true on it. I'm not trying to make anyone pay any more taxes. As long as I can verify that, as long as I can kind of feel confident that those numbers are accurate on it, I am good to go. It ended up working out fine. Uh, IRS never looked into it. And all we know, it was probably 100% accurate. And it was exactly right. Just a large amount. But like I said, right, if you have something that high, I don't necessarily need the details, but you should have those details and probably a bit more details than most people. If you have a large non-cash charitable deduction, take some pictures of what it was, you know, take a video of all the stuff. You don't necessarily need to go down through and make a full spreadsheet right now, but get documentation and stuff so that if you ever need to recreate kind of that item list of what was donated, you can. A couple other things on here. Most of this stuff is kind of, you know, tips and tricks that we tell clients one-on-one that I thought would be cool to just give out to you guys, whether you're my client or not. And other kind of common mistakes that we see kind of catch people up. So childcare, daycare, the only thing that we need on that is the name, address, EIN of the provider and however much you paid for them. Really, all you need to do is ask your school or daycare center to send the end of your letter. It should have all that information on there. If you have a private person, it's essentially the same idea. Name, address, social security number, dollar amount paid, and that's it. Now, if you have someone on there, it generally asks us to put a social security number in there, depending on what it is. Sometimes we have to put a social security number in there. Sometimes people get freaked out by this because they pay their nanny or their babysitter, whatever, underneath the table. Just because you deducted on your taxes as far as like a daycare or some sort of expense like that, it doesn't directly tie into the other person's social security. But if you do have an arrangement with your caretaker that this is under the table and they don't want this anywhere on it, then I would kind of think twice about putting it on there, um, you know, respect their privacy and stuff like that. And also, if you kind of are in a situation like that, call us up and see if you even need it. A lot of times, if you make too much money, you can't even get a deduction for that. It's less and less common now because they raise the limits of that, but there's a chance. Next one is schedule of estimated taxes and when they were paid. So estimated tax payments, whether they are federal or state, all I want to know is what day did you pay those? Who did you pay it to? And how much did you pay? Hey, Hunt, I made four payments to the federal government of $4,000, April, June, September, and January. Here is all the schedule of that. We're good to go. Perfect, right? You already gave me something I'm already going to ask you later, right? This is already going to speed things up. State is the same way. And for those of you that have the pass-through entity tax on a business, give me those dates and dollar amounts as well. Now, I will be able to go down through QuickBooks and look for that stuff. I'm also comparing that to what I expected you to pay as well. But if you can already get ahead of me and give me what you paid, then that'll make my life easier. Well, not my life. I'm probably not going to be doing your return. One of my uh, team members is, but it makes our life a lot easier on that. And again, if you go down through there and you say, hey, I, I paid the federal government three times, April, June, and then in January. And on our schedule, we see that you should have paid one in September. We're going to call you up and say, hey, I see three on here. You should have had four. Did you pay that September one? Oh, yeah, I did. I completely forgot about that. Sorry, I did pay that. Here's the details. Or a lot of times people say, nope, completely forgot on that one. Didn't have that third quarter, right? We verify this stuff anyways, but we would love to have that schedule. Makes our life easier. HSA, right? Health savings account. How much did you contribute into it? If it's for single or family, how much did you contribute into it? If it's on your paycheck, if it's like through payroll or something like that, then we don't need a dollar amount. It's already going to be included on there. 
But if you do it outside of payroll directly into the HSA, we do want to know the amount. Really the only thing we know need to know. Hey, I put five grand into there. Perfect. If you have an HSA, they give an end of year statement, which gives end of year balance and how much you put in there, how many expenses were paid out. Now on the expense paid outside of it, you'll get a tax form. So we'll see that. And sometimes those tax forms also have contributions as well. IRA. So if you have a personal IRA, not a business IRA, so this would be a traditional IRA or I guess a Roth IRA as well. We need to know how much you put into that. So if you max that out already, then tell your account, hey, I put six grand in there. It's already maxed out. We're good to go. A lot of my clients, if they put some in there, they still haven't maxed it all out. Or maybe you haven't put anything in there. So if you're sitting here right now and you have a traditional IRA and you haven't put any money into it, then I wouldn't rush to put any money into it right now if you don't need to. Get all your personal tax information into us or your accountant and then ask them and say, hey, I didn't put anything into my IRA. My wife didn't put anything into hers either. Does it make sense for me to contribute? Because sometimes a lot of my clients do it like this. They say, Hunt, what do the taxes look like? And I'll say, eh, not too bad, right? We're owing about two grand right now. And they say, okay, perfect. Now, what if I put five grand into my IRA and my wife puts five grand to her IRA as well? Well, if you guys put 10 grand total into that IRA, it's going to wipe all those taxes out completely and you'll be done. Perfect. We're going to do that. Mark on the tax return that I'm putting 10 grand in there and I'll go ahead and I'll fund that today. Because remember with the IRAs, we have until April 15th or I guess April 18th this year to fund it for last year. On the business, we had to have already done it. But on the traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs, it can be done for retroactively. So keep that in mind. So two other things, and we'll kind of wrap all this stuff up. So rental properties. So if you have like a self-rental for either your building for your shop or an unrelated real estate rental property, vacation rental, single family, multifamily, whatever it is, if you have a QuickBooks file, then great. We're going to get all your stuff out of your QuickBooks file, just like your other businesses. We're going to verify loan balances, bank balances, escrow, compare expenses, stuff like that. Perfect. If you do not have a QuickBooks file, which a lot of people don't have QuickBooks files for rental properties, it's easy enough for you to total this stuff up. You don't need QuickBooks, then fine, don't use it, right? And a lot of people have super, super simple ones where it doesn't really predicate you paying for a QuickBooks online subscription. You know, you got rent payment in, it pays the mortgage, and that's it. Really simple. And so all we would need on something like that is, hey, how much rent did you receive? $100,000. What expenses did you pay? Just the mortgage. All right, send me your end of your mortgage statement. Now, if you have other expenses like that, repairs, improvements, insurance, stuff like that, all I need is a total. So I either need a profit and loss out of QuickBooks, where if you have QuickBooks, we'll actually get in there and review that and actually pull the information for ourselves. If you don't have QuickBooks, then essentially what we're looking for is a very basic profit and loss statement. Income, expenses, that's it. If it's a new property that you just bought last year in 2022, the only additional thing we'll need is that you know two-page settlement sheet that shows purchase price, closing costs, and all that good stuff. Let's say that you have a small business, a side business, uh, something that you get a 1099 for, whatever it is. Again, if you have QuickBooks, we're going to use the QuickBooks. If you don't have QuickBooks, I just need a quick P&L. How much income do you take in? What kind of expenses do you have? I don't need receipts, just totals. And a lot of times, if you're not sure about this, put together a baseline profit and loss and then shoot it over to us. What usually happens is, hey, I started this new business. It's kind of, I don't know, up and coming. I'm not sure really what expenses I can count and what expenses I don't. And so what I usually tell people is, all right, you know, kind of get this stuff together, send it to my team and have them take a look at it. 
And then what they can do is they can take a look at it. And based on what kind of business it is, we probably have some background of what a customary expense is. So we could say, hmm, did you have any office expense? Because based on what this is, you had to have bought at least a printer or something like that. I don't see any of that on there. Or, hey, this expense looks a little bit too high or this expense looks a little bit too low. So send it in so we can kind of take a look at it and maybe have you go back and dig around for some more expenses if need be. But if you're confused by any of this, give your accountant a call. If I'm your accountant, give us a call. Give one of my team members a call. We'd be happy to walk you down through this. You know, in a span of like five minutes, we can probably go down and give you a quick list of what we need and what we don't. And if you're ever in doubt of what we need or what your accountant needs, just send it in. If we need it, we'll use it. If not, we'll disregard it. So the overall takeaway here is get your stuff together, get it in, and let's wrap this up. If you're getting a refund, this means that you're going to get it even sooner. And if you owe money, delaying the inevitable isn't going to change anything. And remember, if you don't pay by April 18th, either by filing the return or putting in an extension payment, you're going to pay penalties and interest at a later date when you actually do pay them. And even if for some reason you want to extend, we can have everything in there and know where we stand and then just sit on it till you're ready. I wouldn't say that we do this a lot, but there are some cases where it makes sense. Lawsuits, divorce, or maybe you're going to get loans or funding. Sometimes we hold off as long as we can. We kind of put it all in there and we have it all done where we could file it, but we just kind of sit on it. We just kind of sit on it and say, hey, I think this is what we're going to do, but let's leave the options out there of what we can do. Because again, just like I was talking about before, we do not want to amend unless we absolutely need to. So not to say we only have one shot at this, but we want to make sure that this is a calculated thing. This is why we don't rush this stuff. This is why we don't kind of just say, all right, let's just get this filed. Unless we're 100% confident with it and ready to go, we're not going to click e-file. We're not going to send that out the door. Remember, this is our first tax estimate for 2023 as well. So if you don't close out 2022, how can you forecast 2023? So let's start the year on the right foot and looking forward, not dragging our feet and falling behind. Hopefully this was helpful for you. Hopefully this kind of gave you a little bit more background on why we ask for stuff or what you need to do or talk to your accountant about. So please share this with friends. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.